Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 11th of August, 2019. This evening we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 40, and brings us a message entitled, The Power of the Gospel. I invite you to open God's Word to the New Testament, to the Acts of the Apostle, as alluded to earlier, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read a fair chunk of, of Scripture. I'm going to start at verse 11, and we're going to read to the very end of Acts chapter 16 as we think about the gospel entering into Europe for the first time that we know of. Acts chapter 16, and this is God's word starting at verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. 
But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his household. And he set, foot, set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. May God add his blessing to the public reading of his word. Let me ask this question as we begin our time. How powerful is the gospel? How powerful is the gospel? Let me personalize that. How powerful do you think the gospel is? The gospel being the good news of Jesus Christ. I could put it this way. How big is the gospel message in your mind? How transformative is the gospel according to yourself? I'll make the, the blanket assumption that most of us have, a, have an understanding of what the gospel is. But what do you think of it? How transformative is the life-giving message of Jesus Christ to you? In your heart of hearts, what do you believe that the gospel can change or affect? And I have to add, do you believe in it at all? Maybe the gospel for you is something that, and we often do this, is something that we, if we connect, we, we fix it to a, a moment of, of salvation. So we talk about um, a uh, hearing the gospel for the first time and we think of maybe the day and the hour maybe the, the, the location and where we accepted Christ as our saviour that's all well and good maybe we could go further and say that we, we maybe connect it to something that happens on a particular day like today the Lord's Day we think of gospel being preached maybe we think about it in special meetings gospel meetings or maybe we think of, that once you hear the word gospel, we think about somebody up here like myself and they are a preacher and they preach the gospel. They talk about this good news. Often we place limitations upon the gospel, whether we are, we are conscious to that or not. 
And often we can erect barriers to it. And could I uh, just graciously and with all gentleness suggest that many of us, maybe some in this room, certainly right across this world, have a rather shallow understanding of the gospel. And what we need to do, what our prayers this evening and for the rest of our lives is to continually have our hearts and minds reinvigorated by the wonder of the gospel. We need to be left in awe by its power and its transformation. And we're going to see that in action and hopefully we've already caught a glimpse of it as we've read God's word together. So let's, let's think a little bit about what's going on here as we look at, at the context to give us the backdrop of what is taking place before we dig a little deeper. So what's going on? Well, it, there's mention of, of many people, the, the who's Paul and Silas are mentioned, but they're also, and they're also a, a part of a group of four. They're accompanied alongside Luke. We know that because Luke is the, the writer of Acts and he talks of, mentions we often in this passage. But they're also joined uh, with a young man, Timothy. This group was traveling throughout Asia and they, they pick up this young man, Timothy. And Timothy is, is probably a well-known name to you. Paul will, will encourage and exhort this young man or write a number of letters to Timothy in Ephesus. Significantly, and you can cast your eye to verse 5 of chapter 16, the gospel was spreading we get this constant refrain in the, in the Acts of the Apostle that churches were strengthening and numbers increasing. And it's just sort of constantly just planted in there by Luke. Now Paul receives a vision directing him to make his way to Macedonia. And we read that in, in verse 6. And obedient to, to God's will, Paul goes. It wasn't his intentions. He hadn't planned this, but he's obedient. He goes. Paul goes with Silas, Luke. And Timothy on their journey to Macedonia. Paul's first missionary journey escapade has just came to an end. And chapter 16, here begins the second. And here the gospel makes its way to Europe, into Macedonia, which we have heard of and still exists. And specifically into this Roman province of Philippi. And this evening we're going to cast our eyes and we're going to do a bit of a character study upon these three individuals. We're going to look at the three lives that Luke presents. First one's Lydia, second one's a slave girl, and the third is a, is a Roman jailer, or often called the Philippian jailer. And the question that we what I want to present to you that should be at the forefront of our minds as we look at these three people is, why does Luke tell us specifically about these three individuals. We can make the broad assumption that many other people came to faith and different people heard the gospel and responded. Why does Luke include these three particular individuals? Have that at the forefront of our mind, your mind as we look at this. Let's, let's start off and let's look at Lydia from verses 11 to 15. As we, as we read the story, as their journey begins, as they come to Philippi in Macedonia, we read, we read that their mission starts very well. Everything seems to be going quite well. They begin by going to the place of worship, not the temple. There's no synagogue here in Philippi, but by the riverside. 
Why the riverside? Well, well, that was the place often known for prayer. It's interesting that there's no synagogue, which would suggest that there, there wasn't any men who believed in God. But we only read about women here. There's only women who are praying. There might not even have been any men at all who were, who were God-fearers or God-worshippers in, in this city of Philippi. We don't know, but all we know of is that the first people that they meet who are God-worshippers are women. And particularly one woman who's mentioned by Luke, and that is the woman called Lydia. Lydia is from Thyatira, which is uh, further east. And Thyatira was very famous for, for its goods, for its trade, and it was very famous for its clothing. And we get that explicitly as we know that Lydia was a seller of purple. Purple was very sought after. It was very expensive. And that tells us that Lydia was a wealthy woman. We know that more so that Lydia had a house later on. Lydia was was a wealthy woman. But Lydia listens to them. But where she is from or her evident wealth is not the most important fact according to Luke. It's not what he wants us to focus upon, but as verse 14 tells us, Lydia was a worshipper of God. She had no background with Judaism, not coming from Thyatira, no, no, no chance of that. But God had been working in her life for this moment. She had been a worshipper of God. She'd been acting like a Jew. She, was, she had a God consciousness of the God of heaven and earth. And as, as the story continues, quite quickly, it's quite a rapid story, we're told that the Lord opens her heart to what Paul has to say. And as Paul plants the seed, God grants the harvest. And it's just, a, it's a remarkable, just in a few sentences, she accepts the gospel as presented by Paul alongside her household and she's immediately baptized. It's just like boom, 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 one after another. And she, she gets the gospel, and the gospel immediately impacts her life. And she welcomes these, this, these group back to their house. And we could, we could make the hazard the guess and fairly, with a, fairly um, confidently say that Lydia's house was the, was the first Philippian, where the, the church of Philippi began. This is the origin, this woman's house. So that's Lydia, and let's move on to our second character, and that is the slave girl, which we get even less information about. We learn two things about this slave girl. First thing is that she was controlled by an evil spirit. That evil spirit enabled her to predict the future. That was her job. That was what she did each day. She predicted the future through this evil spirit. And the second thing is, we're told, is that she was being misused by her owners because of her ability. She was a slave. She did not have control of her comings and goings. She was under the control of an evil spirit. And she was under the control, humanly speaking, of slave masters who were investing in her ability. Now, the interesting thing about this small snippet of a story is that she does something incredibly peculiar. Something that happened to Jesus often. 
For she was an individual, though demon-possessed, but engaged in evangelism. Read in verse 17 that she cried out that these, 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 these group of four men, these are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way to salvation. A little bit of a, an oxymoron. Doesn't make sense. Why would this woman possessed with a, an evil spirit suddenly publicly declare the truth of the gospel and, and furthermore attribute that, that the knowledge of the good news of the gospel is with these four men? Why would she do such a thing? We don't have that experience. Nowadays we don't have people, let alone demon-possessed people, standing outside churches and trying to get people inside church buildings and getting them talking to Christians Surely we would expect the, the complete opposite. But even more incredible is that this isn't a one-off event. She continues, she doesn't stop. She continues for many days, as verse 18 tells us. Now maybe in your translation, it may say that the Paul's response is that he became annoyed, that he became annoyed um, with her. That's what it says in my translation, the ESV. Now this, once we hear that, that might, we might conjure up ideas in our head that Paul becomes very frustrated and he's at his wit's end and he really would wish this, this, this slave girl would just go away. That's not the heart of what's going on. It's not a great translation. But really what Paul was, and it's better to understand what's going on in his own heart, is that he's grieving for this young girl. He grieves at her state, at her, her lack of freedom, both physically and, and spiritually. So he commands, as, as Paul can as an apostle, that, to, that the evil spirit def- that would flee from her. And he does this not in any other name but than in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has authority. And in an instance, the demon leaves and this is where Luke ends her story. Unlike the, the other two, the, the, Lydia and the, the jailer, we don't read about her conversion. We don't read about her baptism at this point in time. However, we can infer, though as her story is sandwiched in between the middle, the, uh, these three unique gospel transformations, that she too was one of the inaugural members of the Philippian church. And her story leads us into the final story, which Luke dedicates much of his time, more words than the other two combined. And that is the story of the Roman jailer. This story consumes the majority of the passage. And that tells us quite obviously that Luke wants us to focus on it as he gives us so much detail. At this part of the narrative, the story starts to turn sour for Paul and co. Things have been going quite well so far. Lydia has and her household have been saved, baptized. They've been welcomed back. They have performed a, a miracle. Paul's been able to perform a miracle and you know, release a demon from the slave girl. And things are going well. But now the gospel, which had such a positive impact in people's lives, has now become offensive. It has impinged on the economic gain of the slave girl's masters and they want 
revenge. And just take a note at their reasoning. You can see this in verses 20 to 21. Their reasoning for, for, for arguing is, is not out of, of the real reason for their economic gain, but they use religious and cultural as, uh, arguments to make sure these men are thrown into prison. They're deceitful even more. They're desperate. They are angry at what Paul has done. They have the, 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 the ability for this slave girl to get money is no more for them. So after a, a, an incredibly unjust trial, which we won't go into, Paul and Silas, and note it's just Paul and Silas at this point, we don't know where Luke and Timothy have went to, they are beaten and thrown into prison. Yet in the midst of their suffering, they are found rejoicing. They're found praying and singing. Just an incredible thought how to experience that. And before God remarkably saves them through the means of an earthquake, our third character enters. And it's a jailer from Rome. He's probably a, a, a retired soldier. He's probably did his time serving Rome. He's probably an expat to Philippi. He's got a good job, pretty safe job. Life pretty, is going well. He's probably older in years. And goodness knows he wouldn't have expected what would happen this night. An earthquake, earthquake comes. And fretting for his life, because he naturally assumes that the prisoners will escape, he draws his sword to take his own life, because he knows if he doesn't take his own life, tomorrow morning someone else will. But Paul stops him. Paul stops him from doing this. And then we just have an incredible dialogue in these verses. He's convicted of his, his own sinful state and the, the injustice that these men have faced. The jailer, he rushes and he, he falls to, to his knees. Uh, he brings Paul and Silas out of their cell and he, sa- and he says this phenomenal question. The, you could argue the greatest question anyone could ever ask. He says in verse 3, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? How does he know about salvation? Where's he got this from? Maybe he'd heard the slave girl shouting. Or maybe he had been listening intently to the prayers and hymns that Paul and Silas had been sharing aloud. And what is Paul's response to this potentially life-changing question? Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus. It's the essence of the entry point of salvation. Paul could have expanded and said so much more. But once we think about all that there is in responding to Christ, we could condense it just to this. Believe in Jesus. Believe in who he was. In who he said he was. He was God's son. Believe in what he did for you. Believe that he died for you and he rose again for you. And believe in your need of him. Believe in his words, his commands to repent, to have faith. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And wonderfully, this man responds alongside his family. And they they believe. And they're baptized just like Lydia's family. 
And the next day, Paul and Silas, they're released. They're released. Probably because the, 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 they're worried. The magistrates worry that this is going to go bad and this could upset other people. They could get in trouble. But interesting, Paul and Silas, they, they know their rights as Roman citizens and they demand a public apology. The reason for them doing that is not just to sort of like show them who's boss and that they, they have the upper hand, but they know that they are about to leave. But there's going to be people here who have just started to follow Lord Jesus and they're going to remain. And they're thinking of the future, thinking about their safety. That's why once we read, as we did earlier, Philippians chapter 1, and Philippians is such an uplifting, encouraging message, how warm Paul's language is to this, this church. He loves them earnestly. So make, making sure that the Christians and the newly found church would be safe and treated fairly after the departure. They, 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 they accept the request from the magistrates, and off they go. And they go to Thessalonica as we read next. So let's go back to our question. Why does Luke tell us specifically about these three individuals? Three diverse people. Three people, a rich foreign woman, a possessed slave girl, and a retired Roman soldier, now jailer. And notice this, these Three people, all deriving from different social, different national backgrounds. At every strand of their lives, they are different. Think about socially, Lydia, very, very wealthy. A slave girl. She doesn't even own herself. She has nothing. Jailer, probably somewhere in between. Think nationally, Lydia from Thyatira, outside of Macedonia, a slave girl, probably a local, someone from Philippi, a jailer, again, from Rome. Three different locations. Yet they all, despite their differences, adhere to and come under the universal power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Luke's point is, is just crystal clear in why he, he, he specifically makes reference and includes the story of these three individuals. You just cannot miss it. And the point is this. The power of the gospel transcends all barriers, whatever they might be. Social, national, racial, whatever we want to include after that, it is powerful. And what it does, it, it, it brings people under, in unity under the name of Jesus Christ. And this, this, this gospel, this good news, this message about God's Son continues to be the most powerful message that has ever been and continues to be. We've just read of a story of 2,000 years ago and fast forward now 2,000 years ago and there's pl- people right across the world, Cumber, right across Asia, South America, who continue to hear of this good news. And the power of God onto salvation continues to spread. And praise God that he's a God who continues to build his kingdom. See, these three people epitomize humanity. 
They were all longing for something. There was all a, a gap. There was all something that they, they needed. Something outside of themselves that they, they, they quenched for. And it was something only, only the gospel. Only what God could bring. And see, these three people epitomize humanity. And humanity, which includes you and I, hasn't changed that much in 2,000 years. And we are all, all longing for something. We're all dissatisfied, whether we want to acknowledge that or not in our lives. We all seek for a solution to, to the, the problem that God and his word tells us, which is sin. The Bible makes it very clear that the only answer is that we believe in Jesus. That we allow the power of, of the gospel to infiltrate our lives. But at this point, we, we, we cannot miss in this passage the range of reactions, as we thought about this morning. Yes, the gospel has been welcomed by, by these three and their couple of families connected, but it's also faced opposition. It's rejected by slave girls' owners, then wider society, then in the magistrates. And this is just a healthy reminder for all of us that the gospel can offend It can produce an angry response. So what about you? Do you continue to be offended by the gospel? Maybe you're apathetic towards the gospel. You just don't see its relevance to your life. You don't see your own need in light of its beauty. And subconsciously, even though you may be apathetic, you continue to reject it. Continue to say no to the truth of the gospel, the invitation that God hands out that continues to hand to you every single day. At each point of this passage, we have to note that God is the main player working within each one. He opens Lydia's heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. Paul commands the evil spirit to depart the slave girl in the name of Jesus Christ. God sends the earthquake to open the prison doors. And then the jailer's inquisitive question is to, and the answer to that question is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For these four men, they knew that they were merely pawns in this story. The power to deceive families, control demonic forces, and send miraculous earthquakes was outside of them. This was only a possibility for God. And that should bring liberty to us. That should take a weight off our shoulders. This is, this is God's work. This is God's work. It's through his spirit that lives are changed. It's not down to you and I to change people and to grapple with them. Yes, so we should have a desire to continue to share the gospel. But this is God's work. And it's only through him that the gospel will take effect. Though it's not our get out of jail card. And that is the point Luke is enforcing. God was using these individuals to, to display his incredible and unstoppable power. Even when it looked like this could be the end of the gospel ministry into Europe, God prevails. God was the driving force then because he is all-powerful and has presented humanity with, a, with an all-powerful message regarding his son for salvation. And that continues to be the case here right up until 2019, until the rest of the days. This gospel is unstoppable because it's God's gospel. 
Let's be encouraged by it. Let's be reminded of its power and its breadth and how transformative it is. Amen. Let's close our time together as we sing our final hymn, a well-known favorite, Be Thy My Vision. Let's stand as we sing, as we close, as we reflect on what God has shared with us this evening.